0: Amen. So this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series, Foundations, Building a Better 2018, and it seems appropriate, then, that we should look at one of the largest building projects recorded in the Gospels. This comes to us from a parable that Jesus told. It's recorded in the 12th chapter of Luke. Listen for the word of God for us this morning. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And Jesus said to them, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry." But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 2029. December 1st, 2029 to be exact. According to the Board of Pensions of the Presbyterian Church USA, that's the day I can retire. (laughs) I can begin to draw my pension. Now here's the funny thing, I've been ordained for 30 years and I have received this little notice in January every year and honestly, I've never paid any attention to it until this year. And suddenly, the year 2029, it doesn't seem like the distant future anymore. Suddenly, 2029 seems close enough that questions about additional savings and investments, they kind of seem to matter now. Suddenly, like so many of my generation, I find myself wondering, will I be able to retire? And if I do, how much will it take to live comfortably? How much do I need? How much should I save? Or actually, should I have saved, right? How much? Does this sound familiar to any of you? The Gospel of Luke records an encounter between Jesus and a man asking just that kind of question with anxiety, just like that. He comes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You see, in an age without pensions or retirement accounts or Social Security, siblings relied upon their father's heir, usually their eldest brother, to do the right thing and to provide financial security. And in this family, something isn't quite right. You know, we don't even have to know the details to know that it's probably complicated, right? It's probably a bit ugly. We don't have to know the details to know that the question how much hangs between these siblings like a gloomy storm cloud. And here's what I love, Jesus sees it all, Jesus understands it all, and he takes the anxiety and the ugliness of that moment, the question how much, and like Jesus always does, he turns it upside down. He says, I'm not a referee between you and your brother but I do know a threat to the kingdom life when I see it. So watch out. Beware, guard yourselves against all kinds of greed because life, the kingdom life, the life I want for you, the life I've come to offer you is never about how much, how much money, how much security, how much you possess, never. And in my imagination, Jesus then looks directly into the eyes of that older brother, who I believe was there as well, looks right in his eyes and begins to tell a story. Once there was a rich man, a mega agricultural giant, and boy, this guy was blessed, really blessed. So blessed he has a problem. He's the beneficiary of an amazing harvest. It's such a big harvest. He has nowhere to store his grain, poor fellow. So he thought to himself, he deliberated with himself, he begins to have a discussion with himself saying, what am I gonna do with this grain? Then still talking to himself, he says to himself, I'll do this, I will pull down my barns, I will build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and all my goods. Now, I'm no farmer, but doesn't this seem a bit drastic to you? Why not just build a few new barns to augment the old ones, right? But no, this guy is tearing down those old barns, building new ones, making a statement about the wealth that this harvest has brought him. If this much money had come from the harvest, it must be nothing short of miraculous. He hasn't just done well, he's done miraculously well. So this self-made man then continues to talk to himself. I will say to my soul, Scripture tells us. Do you notice that when you're rich and spectacularly successful, you really don't need anyone else to talk to? Have you noticed that? He says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, soul, and eat and drink and be merry. But then, of course, it happens While this man is busy talking to his soul, having a wonderful monologue, right? God interjects, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded. Then who will get everything that you have prepared? God breaks this sense of comfort and self-satisfaction and gives a dose of reality. Jesus ends his parable saying, this is the way it will be. For those who hoard things for themselves and are rich toward God. This is the way it will be for those who continually worry about how much. Who hoard, who build and build and build for their own well-being. Don't you see, says Jesus, the question isn't how much. The important question for kingdom living is never how much. No, the important question for kingdom living, how to manage the miracles in front of us. Friends, remember, Jesus is talking to farmers. Farmers who knew that land, soil, rain, and sun produce crops, not rich barn owners. Farmers who understood that bountiful crops are gifts. They are miraculous gifts. Farmers who understood the foolishness of some landowner in this parable treating the gift as a possession, as something he could manage and control. Beware, Jesus told them, beware of storing God's miracles in barns for your own consumption. Beware of such greed. It's not the life I'm calling you to live. It's not the life I've come to share. No, the kingdom life is a life rich toward God, rich toward God, a life that manages miracles in God's name and in God's way. I believe that Jesus' teaching took the ugliness of that sibling squabble and turned it into something beautiful that day. I choose to believe that. When the miracles of our relationships our love, our money, our energy are managed in God's name and in God's gracious way, beautiful things happen. The lonely find community. The hungry get fed. Families are strengthened. Those without hope find hope. Healing and justice and reconciliation, they just break out. Friends, Jesus teaching here, it is so clear. It is so simple. It really doesn't need a lot of explanation. But as we begin a new year, it holds such important reminders for us. First, this. Jesus reminds us here that what we have, what we possess, what we build with our lives, they're miracles. They're God's miracles, God's gifts. They're to be celebrated, to be cherished, to be shared. We are surrounded, literally surrounded by miracles. That person next to you in the pew, a miracle, your family, your friends, this community, this church, your health, your vocation, your money, your energy, your calling in life, your passion, all things that aren't earned, they're not deserved, they are gifts. And as Christians, whatever we have, whatever resources of time or money, love or ability, they aren't to be hoarded away, stored up for ourselves. They're to be used for God's purposes. They're to be used to help others. That's what it means to be rich towards God. That's what kingdom living is about, recognizing the miracles that God places in our lives as miracles for the world, miracles meant for the kingdom of God. Secondly, Jesus teaches us that we can't manage the miracles of God alone. That's what makes this barn builder in Jesus' parable so funny. He never consults anyone, never asks any questions, never holds himself accountable to anyone. But we, we must manage the miracle in our lives with a dialogue. We need a dialogue, not a monologue. We need to be in conversation, in conversation with God, with our brothers and sisters in faith. That's why we have one another, That's why the miracles of God are best managed in community. Jesus gifts us here with a glimpse of that moment. That moment that comes to each of us, that moment that I'm sure you've experienced and I've experienced after it's all done, all the loving, all the building, all the striving, all the seeking for enough, is over, when the question gets asked, did it matter? Jesus gives us a glimpse of that moment, helps us to ask that question for ourselves about our own lives. Not long ago, I stood at the graveside of a family friend. She was a woman of extremely modest means. She died without investment, she died without a home, she died without a large checking account or a legacy of any impressive building projects whatsoever, except for the way she built little houses to feed birds in her backyard. That's about as close as she came to a building project. But as we stood at her grave, her granddaughters spoke. One spoke of the way her grandmother's love literally saved her life, giving her hope as she fought an addiction. One spoke of the way her grandmother's faith made her question her own agnosticism. One spoke of the way her grandmother's inner peace made her seek that peace for herself. A simple woman, a humble woman, but she managed the miracles of love and faith God granted her with such richness, richness toward the God she knew, in Jesus Christ. At the moment when it was asked, did it matter, what she built, how she spent her life, there was no question, it made a world of difference. Friends, as we move into this new year, I want what I do, what I spend, what I give away, what I pour out to matter. And I want it to matter not to me, not to my family, not even to you. I want it to matter to God and to God's kingdom. And I know you well enough to know you want the same thing. I want what this church does, what we spend, what we give away, what we pour out to matter to God and to God's kingdom as well. That means we must focus upon the miracles that God places before us. And they are miracles, not what we don't have not what we can't have, not what we are missing, but the wonderful miracles that make us rich. We are a rich people, rich in resource, rich in purpose, and rich in love. And then we have the task, actually the privilege, of managing those miracles for the good of the world in God's way and for God's will. Pastor Donovan Drake writes that he told of a woman with a tarp in her living room because of a leaky roof. He was using it as a sermon illustration, and after the worship service, a church member came up to him and said, so what are we going to do to help that woman? And Reverend Drake says he was totally caught off guard. He wanted to say, I don't know, I was just preaching. But later, a check showed up in an envelope for the price of a new roof. Look what happens when the body of Christ manages the miracle of God's grace. How many mouths could be fed, roofs could be fixed, lives could be made whole if we weren't so busy building storehouses of security and barns of plenty? How might the world around you be different if you stopped worrying about how much and started asking instead how to manage wisely, the miracles that are within your reach, miracles that are a good gift from our loving God, miracles, miracles, my friends, that by God's grace are always just enough. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Alleluia. Amen.